0: Chapters eleven to fourteen of North Lancashire, Cambridge County Geographies by J. E. Marr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eleven Scenery In a district of which the scenery is an important factor affecting the inhabitants, some attention must be paid to its causes and character. These are dependent partly upon the geological structure partly upon meteorological conditions, whether acting directly, for example, the effects of sunlight and clouds upon the view, or indirectly, as affecting the vegetation, and partly also upon agents such as frost, rivers and glaciers, by which the details of the scenery have been largely determined. At the outset, we may take into account the effects of the more important rock groups in controlling the nature of the surface. The volcanic rocks of the Ordovician system are responsible for the wildest scenery in the county. They are the hardest of the rocks, which are extensively found, and as there is considerable variety in their hardness, the lavas and many of the volcanic ashes being peculiarly hard, while some of the ashes are softer, a considerable diversity of outline is thus called by these alternations. Again, they are affected by very regular systems of gigantic cracks or joints, often with belts of smashed rock along the cracks, and these cracks have been lines of weakness which have frequently been worn into notches and gorges, and they also define the sides of cliffs. To the hardness of the rocks we owe in a great degree the superior elevation of the fells which are composed of them and to the variations of hardness and the nature of the joints are due the frequent alternations of cliff and slope which are so marked a feature of these fells. These alternations are well displayed in the hills of the Coniston group. The Coniston limestone is too narrow to produce important scenic effects. The Silurian rocks give rise to tamer scenery, for the rocks are not so hard as those of the volcanic group, and there is less variety in the degree of hardness accordingly they rise to the whole to less elevation and though crags are numerous they are on a smaller scale than those of the rocks just noticed while the peat-covered uplands are more frequent this type of scenery is well displayed in the country between windermere and coniston the carboniferous rocks produce two very different types of scenery one being characteristic of the carboniferous limestone and the other of the millstone grit, the structure which is presented by the mountain limestone hills has been well named "writing desk structure," for the gently inclined beds form gentle slopes with steep cliffs determined by the nearly vertical joints on the other sides of the hills. This structure is typically shown in Wharton Crag and Hampsfell. the bare white cliffs and fissured clints offer a marked contrast to the surfaces of the fells formed out of the slate rocks. The Clint's just mentioned are flat or fairly flat surfaces of limestone with fissures or grikes produced by the widening of the vertical joints by acidulated rainwater. The water is capable of dissolving the limestone and the bare flat or gently sloping limestone surfaces are therefore often traversed by two sets of fissures at right angles to each other, penetrating for many feet or even yards from the surface. The sides of these are often honeycombed by the solvent action of the rain, assisted by the vegetation that may grow abundantly within. Such clints are seen on the higher parts of the two fells mentioned above. The massive, well-jointed, millstone grit, when found on fell tops, and to some extent on fell sides, produces steep scarps like those seen on the top of cluffer and other parts of the fells lying south east of lancaster but the abundant growth of peat often covering glacial accumulations of these fells has prevented the extensive development of such scarps and the millstone grit tract of these high uplands is chiefly marked by somewhat dreary moorland though it is beautiful during the period when the heather is in bloom the rocks of Triassic age, being soft, are readily worn away. Hence, the ground occupied by them in the country west of the line between Lancaster and Preston is low. Furthermore, their rapid breaking up allows abundant formation of soil and the bare rock is rarely exposed. In addition to this, a great deal of glacial material has accumulated on this low ground and masked the rocks beneath. The effect of the ice of past ages in hollowing the valleys has been noticed in the geological chapter. We are here concerned with its deposits. We may first notice the little moraines which were left by the upland glaciers among the hills of the Coniston Group. They consist of hummocky hillocks of clay, gravel and stones, covered with coarse vegetation. A very perfect example blocks the blind tarn beneath Dove crags Coniston. The boulder clay, which was noticed in the geological chapter, is spread widely over the low-lying grounds. It is often arranged so that its upper surface forms parallel mounds like the backs of whales. These are known as drumlins and are well seen near Lancaster. Somewhat similar mounds, but composed of sand and gravel, are termed eskers. They occur in the neighbourhood of Carnforth. Latest of the deposits which have produced large effects upon the scenery are those which fill in lakes and estuarine tracts. We have seen that Coniston is being filled in by Delta growth, where rivers enter the lake. Many old lakelets scattered over the district have been thus filled. Burton Moss, lying partly in Westmorland, is an example. The estuaries of the Duddon, Leven, Kent and Loon have been silted up for long distances from their heads. Three tracts of deposit can be made out. At the old heads are the most ancient deposits, often largely covered with rich peat, which gives rise to a rich, fertile soil. Seaward from this we may meet with reclaimed marshes, which are still occupied by a growth of salt marsh plants. And lastly, we find the sandbanks at the mouths of the estuaries, still covered by tide at high water. Looking over these flats on the north side of Morecambe Bay, we get a combination of three types of scenery. That of the carboniferous limestone hills, with the marshes below, and the hills of Silurian and Ordovician rocks beyond. Such views are especially fine. In the district south of Morecambe Bay, are Pilling, Cockerham and Winmarley mosses, having a somewhat similar origin. We may now refer briefly to some of the minor features the existence of sand dunes along parts of the coastline of the Duddon, and again near fleetwood and st anne's on sea has already been mentioned they are formed by onshore winds driving up the sands of the shore they are often largely covered with spear-leaved vegetation and produce a somewhat remarkable effect the influence of the lakes and tarns upon the scenery need merely be noticed in passing. We have said much of these sheets of water in earlier sections. The accumulations of loose blocks, detached by the weather from the cliffs above, to settle in fan-like forms on the slopes beneath, have a considerable effect upon the character of the hillsides. These screes, as they are termed, are more extensively developed in Cumberland, but they are quite abundant in North Lancashire also they are well seen below doe crags near coniston old man where they have blocked the end of goats water many gorges have been hollowed out by stream action since the occupation of the county by ice especially along the principal joints and the belts of smashed rock among the hills of the volcanic group of rocks the finest of these is tilberthwaite gill near coniston they often as at that place contain waterfalls the waterfalls of North Lancashire are remarkable for their beauty rather than for their size. Some of them occur in the gorges as just noted. Others are rather cascades where the waters from the upland coombs pour down into the main valley, as those from the Coombs containing levers Water, Low Water, and Seathwaite Tarn. Others again occur where hard rocks are found overlying soft rocks along the courses of streams. Such are found in some of the valleys flowing into the loon from the millstone grit fells. The precipices of the district are small. The principal are found among the volcanic rocks of Ordovician age, the most marked being doe crags. They are also found on the carboniferous limestone hills, and to some extent in the scarps of the millstone grit country. In the limestone tracts some remarkable features are caused by the tendency of water containing carbonic acid to dissolve the lime the formation of grikes has already been noticed when streamlets run from clayey ground onto the bare limestone they rush down the fissures and working along the bedding planes of the limestone may excavate caverns along the latter a well-known cavern of this type is donald mill hole near nether kellett the stream which here enters the cavern has an underground course of about two and a half miles and emerges near Carmforth. Two caves, Dogholes on Wharton Crag and Kirkhead Cave near Cartmel, are of interest on account of the relics of animals and man which they have yielded. The influence of vegetation on the scenery will be noticed in the chapter treating of natural history, and as for the atmospheric effects one need only remark that the variability of the climate which is sometimes treated as a matter of regret is responsible for scenic effects which are far more beautiful than would be the case with the climatic conditions of a more settled character chapter twelve natural history botany and zoology are the sciences which treat of the world's flora and fauna but the study of the distribution of plants and animals where they are found and why forms part of the domain of geography for from it we learn many facts concerning the past history of the land everyone knows by sight a certain number of the plants and animals of his own county and this knowledge will enable him to get some idea of the way in which their geographical distribution is effected let us in the first place consider the plants of the county some of these are commonest in the south of england others in the east And others again in scotland while a very large number of the whole are spread over the entire island and a few are very local so far as our country is concerned these plants have not originated where they now grow we have seen in the geological section that the district was once occupied largely by ice at that time a few plants may have lived on the rocks of the higher fells just as they do on the hills appearing above the ice of Greenland at the present day. But, as the ice receded from the county, places must have been left bare on which plants gradually sprang up, as their seeds were wafted by the wind, or brought by birds, or in some other manner from other regions. It must not be supposed that the plants which were thus brought came from the regions where they are now commonest in Britain, There are many reasons for believing that at no remote geological date, though before the beginning of historic times, England was joined to the continent to the east and south. This would afford a ready route along which the plants, which undoubtedly reached England from the continent, could gradually migrate, just as, at a later period, successive immigrations of people came along that route, having only to cross the narrow straits and as the more barbarous people were driven into the mountain fastnesses by their more highly civilised successors, so might the early plants be replaced by others, which, under altered climatic conditions, were able to flourish. But not all the human immigrants into Britain came by way of the narrow passage of the Straits of Dover. The seafaring Danes and Norsemen, for instance, landed sometimes on the north-east and even on the west coast of England similarly some of our plants may have come in along some other route when england was united to the continent not merely by the land now occupied by the straits but by land masses which once existed over part of the site of the north sea certain plants now well established have been introduced by man most noticeable among these are such as growing cornfields which have been accidentally brought into the country together with the corn some have been recently introduced and are not yet established as the small toad flax others like the large blue speedwell veronica Books baumii though of recent introduction are now thoroughly established and some like the blue cornflower have been so long inhabitants of the country that the period of their introduction is unknown it will be seen from these remarks that the question as to the mode in which our county became stocked with its plants is very complicated, and as it requires much knowledge of science to sift the evidence, this part of the study of distribution is only for those who are possessed of considerable botanical knowledge. There are other facts connected with distribution, however, which can readily be tested. It will soon be found that the plants of Lancashire do not flourish equally in all parts of the county. For instance, those growing on the flats near the sea at the mouth of the loon are very different from those which live on the higher parts of coniston old man very little observation will show that there are two important causes of this difference among the plants of various tracts of the county namely height above sea level and difference of soil let us first regard difference of altitude many plants are confined to tracts less than 900 feet above sea level of which the gorse or wynn is a good example above one thousand eight hundred feet the bracken practically ceases lastly in the belt between one thousand eight hundred and two thousand seven hundred feet we find a remarkable assemblage of plants of an alpine character such as the alpine campion lichnis alpina and the rose root sedum rhodiola the plants of this belt are found in the coniston hills but are much more abundant in those parts of lakeland which belong to the adjoining counties it will be a useful exercise for the student to discover for himself what are the upper limits of the various plants with which he is acquainted, though he must be prepared to find an occasional straggler above the height to which the species as a whole ascends. An easier study is that of the distribution of plants according to the soil. It being remembered that this soil in many cases varies in character owing to the nature of the rock beneath though some soils as those formed of peat are largely independent of the underlying rock some plants are confined to the muddy silt of the salt marshes by the seashore a conspicuous example is the purple sea aster or starwort with yellow eye aster tripolium which grows on the salt marshes of the estuaries around morecambe bay other sea plants are found on sandy or gravelly soil Special mention must be made of a geranium, Geranium Lancastriense, found on Walney Island and nowhere else. The bog plants live in bogs at various heights, from sea level to the tops of some of the highest hills. Among these are the louse warts, Pedicularis, the insect-eating plants known as Butterwort, Pinguicula, and Sundew, Drosera, and handsomest perhaps of all, the grass of Parnassus. Anasia palustris. In the pools among the bogs, we find other plants as the bladderworts Utricularia and the pale blue-flowered water lobelia Lobelia dortmanna. Some plants are confined to the rich soils along beck sides, as the glow flower Trollius europaeus and the yellow balsam Impatiens nolimetangere. The latter a truly local plant. In the rough pastures we may find kinds of orchis with other plants too numerous to mention. In the limestone district is a group of plants which flourish notwithstanding the general dryness of the tract. Among such are the centauri Erythraea centaurium, the rock-rose Helianthemum vulgare and the lady's finger Anthillis But the most noticeable plants of the limestone tract are those which live in the fissures of the cliffs and clints, such as the heart's tongue fern and the yew. Before leaving the consideration of the distribution of plants, there is one matter concerning which a few words must be said. We saw that at over 1,800 feet, a number of plants were found which, with us, do not occur below that height. These however are widely scattered in European mountain regions, many being found on the Scotch hills, the Alps of Switzerland, the mountains of Norway, and on lower ground within the Arctic Circle. They are at the present day mainly characteristic of Alpine and Arctic regions, and it is believed that they became established in our country during the glacial period, occupying then the British lowlands just as they now live on the lowlands within the arctic circle. As the climate grew warmer, they were displaced by other plants which were able to flourish to so great an extent as to exclude these alpines, which accordingly were driven higher and higher, and are now found obtaining here and there a precarious footing upon our higher fells, from which perhaps they are doomed to disappear at no distant date. Let us hope that the disappearance if it comes will be natural, And not quickened by the wanton removal of the roots of the plants by the too eager collector in a county of which the scenery has within recent times had a marked effect upon the dwellers therein a few words may be added as to the effect of the plants upon that scenery many plants grow in sufficient number to produce a striking influence upon the view the flowers of the ragwort in the rough pastures and the curious growth of the cotton grass when in seed may be cited as examples. There are, however, two plants whose influence is particularly pronounced, namely the heather and the bracken. The effects of heather are most striking on the moors to the east of Lancaster. The amount of heather in the Lakeland portion of Lancashire is comparatively small, but it is in this tract that the effects of the bracken are so fine. Of it, Wordsworth speaks thus, about the first week in October, the rich green which prevailed through the whole summer is usually passed away the brilliant and various colors of the fern are then in harmony with the autumnal woods bright yellow or lemon color at the base of the mountains melting gradually through orange to a dark russet brown towards the summits where the plant being more exposed to the weather is in a more advanced state of decay about the animals of the district we need say less gifted with the power of locomotion their distribution is as a whole wider than that of the plants the larger quadrupeds have disappeared from the county in prehistoric times the north of england was occupied by lions hyenas and elephants but they were extinct in this county before man had arrived in lancashire though the south of england was occupied by man at the time that these beasts lived there in historic times, the wild boar, wolf, red deer, and wild white cattle existed in Lancashire. It must be understood that the forest of Bowland was then true forest, forming a resort suited to these large mammals. The wolf disappeared from England about the time of Henry the Seventh, and one of its last retreats was the above-named forest wild boars are recorded at horton towers near blackburn in sixteen seventeen and they no doubt extended to the north of the ribble the wild white cattle of the same place became extinct about two hundred years ago and the last herd of red deer in bowland was destroyed in eighteen hundred and five the fox is yet found on the hills and the otter in the streams and fox hunts and otter hunts are still exhilarating pastimes The badger is getting very rare, and the wildcat, abundant a hundred years ago, is almost certainly extinct. Of marine animals, whales and seals are occasionally recorded, and porpoises are more common. Of the birds, the eagle has disappeared, but a number of different kinds of hawk are found, especially in the fell districts. The buzzard has nearly gone, and the merlin is rare. Sparrow-hawks are fairly common, and kestrels abundant. The peregrine falcon still occurs in places. Several kinds of owl are found. Along the streams we find the dipper and the kingfisher, and the heron frequents streams and shores, though it is scarcer than it was formerly. On the moors we hear the cry of the curlew, and grouse are abundant. Good grouse moors are situated on the hills to the east and southeast of Lancaster, It may be noted that the red grouse is a bird confined to Britain. On the flats by the sea are numerous birds, such as ringed plover, turnstones, oyster catchers, dunlins and sandpipers. Certain sea fowl are scarce or absent on account of the rarity of sea cliffs. Some of the birds are only winter visitants, but many breed in the district. Extensive breeding places are found in Walney Island and Pilling Moss. There is little of interest with regard to the distribution of the reptiles and amphibians but the fishes of the county present some noteworthy features the char a fish characteristic of the lakes of hill regions of britain is found in coniston of sea fish there is a great variety the sandy tracts of morecambe bay support a great number of species of flat fish of the invertebrate creatures much could be written in detail but it would require considerable knowledge of zoology leaving the mass of these animals unnoticed we may refer to two things one is the abundance of edible shellfish and shrimps in the waters of morecambe bay the other the occurrence on the coniston fells of the mountain ringlet butterfly arabia epiphron, which though occurring in scotland is not met with between the lake district and switzerland Like the alpine plants, it is probably a survival from the organisms which spread over our country during the glacial period. Chapter 13. Climate The climate of a country is the result of the combined effect of the different variations of what is commonly termed the weather. The most important factors in determining the climate are temperature and rainfall. The great variations in the climate of the world depend mainly upon differences of latitude. Thus we speak of tropical, temperate and arctic climates, that of our country being temperate. Another important factor in controlling climate over wide tracts of country is nearness to the sea, so that along any great climatic belt we have variations according to the geographical conditions. The extremes being continental climates in the centres of continents, far from the oceans, and insular climates in tracts surrounded by ocean. The continental climates are marked by great variations in the seasonal temperatures, the winters tending to be exceptionally cold and the summers exceptionally warm, whereas the climate of many insular tracts, including Britain, is characterised by equableness. By mild winters and fairly cool summers. Again, an insular climate tends to be more humid than a continental climate. Great Britain, then, possesses a temperate insular climate. Different parts of England possess different climates, and we must now consider wherein and why the climate of North Lancashire varies from that of other parts of the country. Two especially important points must be regarded. Contrasting the climatic conditions of North Lancashire with those of other parts of England. Firstly, North Lancashire is further from the European continent and nearer to the Atlantic Ocean than is the eastern portion of England, and its climate therefore departs more widely from the continental type than does that of eastern England. In the second place, the North Lancashire climate is largely influenced by the great amount of elevated land within the county boundaries. As the evaporation of water and its subsequent precipitation as rain is dependent upon changes of temperature, we may consider first the temperature changes. England and Wales are situated in a belt having a mean annual temperature of about 50 degrees Fahrenheit, the mean temperature for January being about 40 degrees Fahrenheit and that for July 60 degrees Fahrenheit and these figures hold good for North Lancashire whereas in East Anglia, the January and July temperatures are about 38 degrees and 62 degrees, and in parts of Western Ireland about 42 degrees and 58 degrees respectively. It will be seen then, that comparing summer and winter temperatures, East Anglia has a less equable, and Western Ireland a more equable climate than North Lancashire. The distribution of temperature shows that latitude alone does not produce the variations, otherwise it should be colder as one passes northward. It has long been known that temperature variations in our island are greatly affected by the prevalent south-westerly winds, bringing heat from the waters of the Atlantic. These waters off our coasts are exceptionally warm for their latitude, owing to their movement from the warmer south-westerly seas towards our shores on the north-east this movement is that of the gulf stream a drifting of the surface waters of the atlantic in a northeasterly direction caused by the prevalent winds it is impossible here to discuss the principles which control weather changes it must suffice to say that our weather is largely influenced by the prevalence of cyclones from the atlantic the air movements are cyclonic or anticyclonic in a flowing stream we may often observe a chain of eddies bounded on either side by more gently moving water. Regarding the general north-easterly moving air from the Atlantic as such a stream, a chain of eddies may be developed in a belt parallel with its general line of movement. This belt of eddies or cyclones as they are termed, tends to shift its position, sometimes passing over our islands, at others to the northwards, and at others again to the southwards. To so the shifting of this belt, most of our weather changes are due. When the country is influenced by a cyclone, it is often windy, while when under the influence of an anticyclone, it will more probably be still and dry. Cyclones, then, are apt to be accompanied by wind and rain, Anticyclones by calm, during which there may be bright sunshine with warmth in summer, clear cold weather in winter, and fog in autumn there is one period of the year when the distribution of the winds in our country is affected in a different way by the temperature of the great continental mass to the east the conditions are then such that the belt of cyclones is as it were pushed back over the ocean and we experience in our county the east winds which are often prevalent during the months of march let us now further consider the rainfall cold air can hold less water vapour than hot air and accordingly when the air rises and becomes chilled in the higher parts of the atmosphere it tends to part with its moisture as rain this air may rise by expansion which makes it lighter or by blowing up a rising land surface the importance of the latter cause is great as may be seen by studying the map of rain distribution in our island when it will be noticed that the areas of high rainfall coincide with the elevated regions. The prevailing winds are from the west and south, and the large amount of rain which falls in North Lancashire, is mainly due to the vapour-laden winds from the Atlantic being forced up the hills, and precipitating their moisture, and accordingly the greatest amount of rainfall occurs practically on the tops of the ridges which face the ocean. The greatest rainfall in the county occurs in the hilly district in most parts of which it varies from forty to sixty inches per annum the heaviest fall is in the high ground of the coniston fells where it amounts to about eighty inches though much rain also descends on the hilly tracts of the south-east the lancashire plain between the ribble and the wire receives only from thirty to forty inches per annum it may be remarked that the driest part of england has less than 20 inches per annum. The amount of sunshine recorded varies in different parts of England, the greatest amount being in the south and east, and the least in the southern part of the Pennines. Along the greater part of the southwest, more than 1,700 hours per annum are recorded. The smallest amount for England is under 1,200 hours. North Lancashire lies in a belt, receiving more than 1,200 and less than 1,400 hours. Severe frost is not so frequent in north Lancashire as it is in parts of south-eastern England, where the average winter temperature is lower. Snow falls in the winter season on the higher fells, and often lies long there, but there is no very great amount of snow in the lower tracts. Chapter 14 People, Race, Language, Settlements, Population, we have no written record of the history of our land carrying us beyond the roman invasion in b c 55 but owing to the discovery of various relics which are being revealed to us by the plough of the farmer and the spade of the antiquary we know that man inhabited it for ages before this date so remote are the times in which the forerunners of our race flourished that antiquaries have not ventured either to date their advent or to give an idea as to the length of time during which each division in which they have arranged them lasted. It must therefore be understood that the divisions or ages of the times when man existed in this country before the advent of the Romans are as yet vaguely separated from one another. When the Romans invaded our island, it was occupied by people whom we are accustomed to speak of popularly as the early Britons. These people, however, were not all of one race, and we may briefly consider who they were. Of the earliest inhabitants of our land, known as the Paleolithic men, men of the old Stone Age, we have no trace, save the implements which they left behind, and of these we know of none which have been found in Lancashire. It is by no means certain, however, that Lancashire was not inhabited by these Paleolithic men, at any rate towards the end of Paleolithic times. In these times man was in a somewhat primitive state. He did not till the land, and it is doubtful whether he had domesticated any animals. He occupied caverns, though no doubt also living in the open, and probably clothed himself exclusively in skins. Long after the disappearance of these people, a short swarthy race arrived from the continent and spread widely over britain certainly penetrating into north lancashire as indicated by their relics neolithic man was in a much more advanced state of civilization than his precursor he tilled the land bred stock made rude pottery and erected remarkable monuments he had nevertheless not yet discovered the use of the metals and his implements and weapons were still made of stone or bone, though the former were often beautifully shaped and polished. The nature of these instruments will be more fully noticed in the chapter upon antiquities. Whence these Neolithic or New Stone Age men came, and who they were, we know not for certain. All we can say is that they were an earlier set of immigrants than the Celts who succeeded them. These early men were displaced by a taller and more powerful people, armed with better weapons, who, however, probably did not completely destroy their conquered enemies, but held the survivors in bondage as slaves. The more powerful race, the Celts, are supposed to have come into Britain at two distinct times. The earlier immigration was of a Celtic race who spoke a language like the modern Gaelic, these people are known as the Goydals or Gaels. Subsequently, another Celtic race, the Britons, speaking a language like Welsh, arrived. These people were acquainted with the use of metals. Stone was gradually replaced by copper and bronze, and before the occupation of the Romans, the latter had largely given place to iron. The discovery of the method of smelting the ores of copper and tin and of mixing them was doubtless a slow affair and the bronze weapons must have been ages in supplanting those of stone for lack of intercommunication at that time presented enormous difficulties to the spread of knowledge bronze age man in addition to fashioning beautiful weapons and implements made good pottery and buried his dead in circular barrows they were then in our county even if paleolithic man never arrived there three races before the roman invasion one pre-celtic and two celtic though some believe that the inhabitants of what is now lancashire were essentially goidals. be this as it may at the time of the arrival of romans the north of england including lancashire was occupied by a powerful celtic tribe that of the brigantes this tribe was divided into sub-tribes but their distribution is uncertain and it will be sufficient for our purpose to know that the people of the brigantes in those days inhabited what is now lancashire it is doubtful whether any important town of the brigantes lay in lancashire territory and whether any traces of the brigantes can be found among the characteristics of the existing people of lancashire but many of their place names still survive in the first century a d the influence of the romans began to be felt And was exerted in lancashire for nearly four hundred years important as was the civilizing influence of the romans upon the inhabitants as we shall see in a later chapter when we come to speak of the roads and other relics of that people the roman occupation produced little permanent effect upon the physical characters and the language of the inhabitants the occupation was essentially military and the roman legions were composed of a soldiery of mixed race gathered by the romans from various quarters of europe after the departure of the romans in the fifth century we know practically nothing of what happened in the district except that for about two centuries it was occupied by the britons or britons in the seventh century the anglo-saxons entered the district and it became part of the english kingdom of northumbria in the ninth and tenth centuries Danes and Norsemen entered the district from the northeast and from the sea, settling especially in the fertile tracts along the coast. William Rufus in the year 1092 brought an army to the north, and the Norman settlement of what is now North Lancashire began. This was the last important immigration of the various races into that area. Of these invasions, that of the Romans had a striking effect upon the civilisation of the people, that of the anglo-saxons gave us our language afterwards modified by norman influence while that of the danes and norsemen doubtless considerably affected the present physical characters of the inhabitants of north lancashire it has been well said that the history of a county is written on the face of the country itself in the names of its towns and villages its rivers mountains and lakes and so we shall find that the North Lancashire place-names give much evidence of the character of the different invasions. The effective displacement of the Britons by the Anglo-Saxons is shown by the rarity of British place-names for towns and villages, although they were still largely used for physical features. Of British place-names, we may note Leven, Ribble and Morecambe. Anglo-Saxon villages often end in tonne, originally an enclosure or with ham examples are dalton overton wennington oldingham kirkham among norse and danish words we have be a village as nateby and kirkby thwaite a clearing as seathwaite alithwaite and brackenthwaite ness a promontory as in a mounderness and many others traces of settlements of the pre-roman dwellers in the district have been found in many places, often on high ground. The Anglo-Saxon, Danish and Norse immigrants probably occupied some of the settlements which had been founded by their predecessors, but there is no doubt that they founded many new hamlets and villages. On the arrival of the Normans, the country was parceled out into larger areas and divided among the Norman barons, under whom the general mass of the inhabitants lived as bondsmen but no doubt those who dwelt in the more remote uplands remained undisturbed in the possession of their small freehold estates. The population of Lancashire as a whole, as stated in Chapter 2, was 4,768,474 in 1911, that of North Lancashire being about 400,000. With the exception of the County of London, it has the largest population of all the English counties. It has an average of two thousand five hundred and fifty people per square mile as compared with the average of six hundred and eighteen per square mile for the whole of England and Wales. North Lancashire, however, where the population is much less dense, has only about six hundred and forty people per square mile. End of chapters eleven to fourteen.